Hey gang, welcome to the Your Basket is Empty pod, a space where I sit down with agencies, brands, and original e-com thinkers to discuss their journey, practical advice, and how they're navigating the current digital landscape. Your Basket is Empty is also a bi-monthly industry newsletter that covers the most interesting e-com and direct consumer news, interviews with original e-com thinkers, a jobs board, an event listing section, and a playlist. Go check that out at yourbasketisempty.com. On episode 68, I sit down with Lauren Kleiman, founder of Dream Day, a performance PR consultancy for category-defining brands and co-founder of The Quality Edit, a publication curating the world's best brands for today's discerning consumer. We tackle why being brand-side helped shape the agency model, the impact key hires can have on a business, how a passion project turned into a separate business in The Quality Edit, why gut and intuition are so important for decision-making, why hiring for culture and vetting clients reduces the chances of working with assholes, and what Lauren's dream day looks like. Before we get into it, this podcast is brought to you by Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started today for free by visiting clavio.com slash your basket is empty. That's K-L-A-V-I-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Lauren, welcome to the pod. How are you and where are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, I am doing very well. We have amazing weather here in LA right now, so just soaking it all in. I feel like we had a very rough uh, rough winter, very cold, not relative oh. to the East Coast or probably yeah, London. Well, that, that's true. That's true. Cold, yeah, cold, yeah. For, cold for a California girl. Yeah, cool. And where in LA are you based? I'm in Cheviot Hills, so I work out of my home, and uh, it's basically like a little bit south of Beverly Hills. Uh, okay, so I got an auntie who lives in Palos Verdes, and oh, then my cousin cool. lives in Silver Lake, which nice. is nice. I think that's kind trendy. of closer to you, right? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, they are very trendy. They are yeah, very trendy. Silver Lake is like on the east side, and uh, I'm like not nearly cool enough to venture <laughs> over that way. Yeah, well. <laughs> Okay, that's debatable. Right, uh, I usually like to take a bit of a sort of like, uh, you know, rewind a little bit. So talk me through those early days at Ritual and I'm curious how that led to Dream Day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I was formerly founding team and VP of marketing at Ritual, the consumer health company. Um, such an incredible experience to really like build a brand from the ground up. Um, I oversaw all of our branding, packaging, positioning, PR and affiliate Um, And I think, you know, related to this conversation can focus on kind of the PR and affiliate piece. And basically what I saw was that most PR agencies, and we worked with all of the best, you know, in the industry, um, most PR agencies, I felt like were only getting us half of the way there and that they might be like delivering the press, but they had no actual understanding or insight into how that press was actually impacting the bottom line for their business or how they could leverage those insights back to the editor or back to the publication. So that's what I saw kind of going on on the PR side. I also felt like we exhausted our relationships like after one year and there's like that constant after one year, you got to find a new agency thing. I always saw that there was like a lot of turnover within agencies. You're always getting like a new account director. Basically all these things that I saw were like wrong with PR from being in-house and, you know, having that brand experience. Um, and then on the other hand, um, we were trying to, you know, find an affiliate agency that we could trust because that was and became a, a larger part of the business. But when I went out to kind of, you know, 
surface, I guess, all the different affiliate agencies, I felt like there was not one that we could trust with our brand, especially given Ritual, like, did not really discount, did not do, you know, especially at the time, like, no, you know, loyalty or like the traditional levers that affiliate um, is known for. And I believe why affiliate deserves its bad rap. Everyone was kind of just doing that. It was very like cookie cutter strategy. Um, and again, like I didn't feel that there was any sensitivity to brand storytelling positioning. It was like just telling publishers, here's like, or not even publishers, deal and loyalty sites, like here's a commission rate, go promote the brand. So I felt that there were like almost that each side of PR and affiliate were missing each other um, in some ways. And at the same time, I felt like PR agencies and affiliate agencies are typically competing with each other, which being on the brand side is obviously not helpful. So for example, like maybe someone affiliate or PR like gets a piece of press and they're like, oh, I got the press, I got the press. And it's like this (laughs) childish thing. And then what I saw was that in parallel publishers were evolving. This was like eight years ago. And unfortunately, this was a time when BuzzFeed was like laying off a lot of their, you know, traditional editorial staff, but really hiring up on um, commerce editors and specifically editors that could help be data driven and really like drive, um, you know, not only share what the most interesting brands and products are with their audience, Mm -hmm. but also drive traffic and revenue for the publication. So I saw that basically publishing was evolving into being really commerce um, driven in terms of their content and yet PR and affiliate were like stuck in these old traditional models that were not really meeting publishers where they're at. So um, long story short, when I left Ritual, which is about three and a half years ago, I didn't seek out to like start an agency. Um, I thought I wanted my, my actual like dream day and I can get into why I called it dream day, but Actual dream day was like, I'm going to, you know, work with a couple clients here or there. I'm going to consult on marketing and growth. But as I started to talk to these clients and I started to kind of just like iterate on this idea that I was having around like where these gaps were, it came it basically about a year later into this idea of performance PR, which we define at dream day as sitting at the intersection of commerce and consumer focused PR and affiliate marketing, but really focused on brand storytelling and top tier content and top tier publishers. Um, that is not traditionally what you know affiliate is known for, um, and really driving synergy between those two. So when we're pitching a brand or a product, we're not only sharing what's interesting and compelling about a brand and why the you know commerce editor should be authentically interested in covering it. Um, But we're also sharing the business opportunity for partnering with that brand and, you know, how has the brand performed well for the publication in the past? What is the commission rate we can offer? What is the like AOV Um, and combining those both into a synergistic approach um, that I believe is really like meeting publishers, um, you know, where they're at in the modern landscape. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, besides being having the experience of being in-house building a brand. Um, and now having an agency, a PR agency, I also have a publication and another media company called The Quality Edit. So I think there's this very holistic view that, you know, I've been lucky enough to kind of have of putting myself in the publisher's seat. And I think it, it also, you know, helps Dream Day think about how do we stand out in editors' inboxes? How can we break through the noise with the receiving, you know, 2,000 emails per day? Because I have that experience of being at a publisher and kind of understanding what is, you know, compelling and, and breaks through to me on that side as well. So 
Um, that's kind of, you know, what led to dream day and its current iteration. We're like hyper-focused on this idea of performance PR. We don't do anything else. We don't do influencer marketing. We don't do VIP seating. We don't do events. Um, you know, I think a lot of those things end up like spreading agencies very thin and our kind of focus is driving best in class results and being extremely focused on, you know, this bespoke service and very high quality, you know, case studies with each of our clients, retaining them obviously as long as possible. Um, and, um, you know, really being hyper-focused on kind of what we do best. That's super interesting. Talk me, talk me through then you, 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 you touched on it there at the start of the, um, conversation, you, you were going to go freelance and it was like your dream day. So, so yeah, talk me through the name and how that relates to it. But I also, I'm really interested in like, at what point did you sort of say like, okay, I'm going to kind of create an agency. Like at what point did you say, oh shit, I need more people to do this. And therefore I assume it creates an agency. Yeah. Yeah. Great question. I don't know how I ended up here. <laughs> um, no, but, um, yeah, I started just consulting on my own. I had no work-life balance. I, you know, I, I, part of why I left ritual was like, I want more work-life balance. I want to like create my own schedule. I didn't particularly love coming into an office every day. Like I had, you know, a newborn, I wanted to like work from home all the time. And so those, those were some of the factors and, um, the idea for dream day literally came the name came from like I want to live my dream day every day what does my dream day look like I'm a fairly like spiritual person like I um you know I want time for like meditation I like time for self-care and working out so I had this idea of like I'm gonna make my healthy smoothie in the morning I'm gonna go for a hike I'm gonna take like two client calls and then I'm gonna play with my kids and I'm gonna pick them up from school and I'm gonna spend time with my husband <laughs> And I like painted this picture of what my dream day would look like if I, you know, if it was the last day on earth and, um, oh my God, it was not like that at all. As soon as I became a consultant, you know, I, I'm someone that places high urgency pretty much on everything, which is something I'm working on, but I like got the wheels going very quickly. One client led to two, led to three, led to four. And like, I was just completely burning myself out every day, like mm -hmm. just working nonstop burying myself in work. And, um, I initially like brought on one kind of like junior consultant who was hugely helpful. She was like an incredible writer. So she would help me like write some of the pitches, but I did not know what I was doing. Like I, I knew I had a, amazing relationships on the publisher side. So I knew like people trusted me, um, you know, from out of the gate pretty much. And I knew that I was doing on the um, client side in terms of like affiliate marketing and advising, I was doing all the right things, but like two problems. One, it was not like scalable in the least, mm -hmm. you know, every yep. single detail was just like me individually working on it. And two, like while I was really good at kind of having these publisher relationships and like affiliate marketing, I had always managed agencies, but I had never been the one in the agency doing the work. So I realized at a certain point about a year later that my pitches were like shit and like I couldn't compete with, you know, all the agencies that had seasoned publicists that had been doing this for the last 20 years with my, you know, without that experience. So I was like, I need to, at a certain point, a year later, I was like, I need to hire someone that knows exactly how to pitch editors. And I yep. realized that I really kind of understood the affiliate part really well. Um, and it was a lot less, you know, bespoke in terms of affiliate pitching and positioning and storytelling than obviously on the PR side. 
but um, I needed someone that really knew how to like craft a thoughtful pitch and get editors' attention. So I hired who is now our um, VP of communications um, at Dream Day. And, um, you know, she had over 15 years of PR experience. She helped launch Caraway, the D2C brand, and, um, you know, got them hundreds of pieces of like launch press. And um, it was kind of, I, I smile because I feel like it was, and I, <laughs> I just got chills. It was such like a turning point in kind of our agency where um, I just got this feeling like she's, she's the one and we you know, built this agency, then from that, just together, like naturally, like one, we, we kind of figured out like how to operationalize the business, how to, um, you know, become a lot more process oriented, like what is needed to service one client, what are the team members, and then eventually, you know, one person by one person, like hiring um, each of those team members, putting together kind of like pods, figuring out what are specific, you know, I always knew we wanted to work with D2C brands because that was just my, you know, background, but Mm -hmm. what is our specific niche? What is our specific offering? And then just, you know, kept really like building, um, from there. And we're now, uh, 16 people, um, at dream day. And, um, honestly that has come by kind of restricting the business, which is weird to say, like we have had so much demand because of our model that, Basically right now, like we take on a client if we absolutely cannot say no to them, which is such a privileged like position to be in. Um, But it has been kind of, we built to where we are today just by, I guess, being hyper selective about who we work with. And um, again, really making sure that we're not taking on a client if we don't believe we can drive, you know, the best case study for them, you know, within the agency. So yeah. yeah, <laughs> that, that's really good. I, I, well, is, I mean, you touched on there's so much to unpack there. I don't know if we've got enough time right now because I want to touch on some other stuff. But the the your model of the kind of more selective curated client list, I think, is really important for a, a successful professional services business, right? Like an agency, because the challenge that I find of the opposite is the kind of hamster wheel effect. And it's like this revenue headcount tit for tat. And that ultimately dilutes the service and clients get pissed off and that's not a cool business to run. I think the challenge with the more curated version, which I still haven't quite figured out with some of my clients is like, how do you scale that? And that's the the interesting bit though. Now I would argue you don't need to scale it because you just make this incredibly profitable, great agency, right? Um, but, and it also depends like what the general direction of traffic is, uh, travel is, you know, in terms of like what, 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 you know, the agency wants to achieve, et cetera. But I yeah. think that like sort of like waiting list only working with who you want to, I think that's, I mean, all agencies say that, right? Like right. It's, it's the golden, it, it, it's, it's what is the, the holy grail, right? You only want to work with clients. Really I mean, I know, with. I know some agencies that are like, we just want to grow to grow. Right. And I think that's, it's not, it's not the wrong way. I think it's just another way, you know? And I think a lot of agencies like, their goal is maybe to, you know, sell or to get to a certain EBITDA or what have you. And so like, they'll take any client and they just want to be as big as they can be. Um, that has never been our intention or, you know, goal from the beginning. And it's actually been the the opposite. Like how small can we remain? Um, yeah. in terms of scale? Yeah, I totally hear you. I think, um, I, there's another agency owner that I frequently bounce ideas off of, um, she has an agency called LaRue PR. She's amazing. And she's like, 
Um, you know, I would say that they're more of a um, scale kind of model. They have a lot of amazing clients and they're trying to, you know, really grow the agency. Mm -hmm. she, she pointed something out that I thought was really interesting just last week of like, your model is kind of being hyper selective and you can charge higher and higher retainers and scale up bigger Nothing. and better clients as you grow. So it's not really about like growing in breadth of clients, but it's more about having higher you know, retainers and, uh, you know, bigger clients kind of as we, uh, scale up. So I, I really liked that perspective. And I think that, you know, resonated as we, I think as, as you continue to attract the best talent and the best, uh, brands and then drive the best case studies that leads to that, you know, word of mouth. And that leads to, um, you know, being able to continuously, up our retainers, you know, what, where, where we started at to like where we are now is such a huge difference. <laughs> it's, such an, it's so cool, <laughs> isn't it? Like looking back and looking at old proposals yes. or looking at old clients and stuff like that and going, shit, yeah. Yeah, this is how far yeah. we've come. That's very cool. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's interesting, right? That, that it sounds like your model is probably more in line with a bit like a strategic consultancy, right? Where they're like yeah. small niche and then they just, you know, that the, the depth of the client, I think, is or the depth of the service is, is an interesting way of looking. It's not breadth, it's, it's kind of depth. But I, yeah. I'm curious then, so uh, you work with direct consumer brands, you know, taking a sort of like 30,000 foot view sort of perspective, like what's your broader take on D2C right now? Um, and I, I'm especially what, interested in what you're seeing on the ground in LA because here in London, it's, or the UK rather, it's quite difficult. So, uh, they just released uh, a report in terms of the UK economy and it's like flat. <laughs> but then it was also the fastest growing G7 economy, uh, you know, I think of 2022 compared to 2021. So I'm getting a mixed bag of stuff here. Like I can't quite put my finger on the pulse of what's actually going on. And then if you relay that kind of wider macro uh, perspective onto what's going on from a consumer and then brand perspective, it, it's a bit volatile are you seeing the same stuff is it different are there opportunities yeah what's your general take on things right now yeah totally I mean I feel the same it's like one day I feel like everything is great and the next day I feel a lot more cautious I think it's like really hard because there's so many factors at play like especially for D to C um there's like the recent iOS changes right so like a lot of these brands that were heavily reliant on paid social are like figuring out how to diversify and I've found that there's you know this big trend of like going back to brand building which obviously is good for our business but going back to like organic brand building organic like how do we build you know this cult following and storytelling and focusing on you know positioning and finding the right product market fit um, but with that, there's like also marketing mix diversification, like going more into affiliate or, you know, maybe doing more out of home or doing mailers or TV or like all these other channels and, you know, trying to kind of figure out where brands can see the most ROI for their dollars. Um, and then, you know, on top of that, obviously there's like the pending recession, which everyone has been talking about for like two years. <laughs> it's like, are we in a recession? Are we not in a recession? Is a recession yep. coming? Is it not? And I think a lot of what I notice is a lot of D2C brands like are preparing, honestly, I've seen for the last two years, preparing for the recession, but, you know, don't necessarily totally feel the effects yet. So, you know, maybe a bit more like cautious with budgets. Um, and then I think there's consumer spending habits that have changed. I think in COVID, a lot of consumers were spending on 
products, which included D2C. And now that spending has shifted. Like, I don't know if you've traveled anytime recently, but I know that hotels are like four times what they used to cost pre-COVID. So, you know, spending more on travel and experiences. Um, And then also I think like as it relates to D2C, D2C really had its heyday through COVID, right? Because people were buying things online and searching for things online, basically online all all the time. Um, that they never would have before, right? Like that, that was a time when you're getting like sparkling water delivered to your doorstep, maybe like from some D2C brand, which you would just never do now today, I think mostly. Um, so just so many different um, converging like trends and macro trends. And, um, you know, I, I think it's somewhere in between in terms of like, are they brands struggling? Like, are they thriving? Um, I think it's this, I, I don't think anyone knows like which way is up, honestly, right now. And so everyone's just like, I think, trying to really hang on and like focus on profitability, I think a little bit more than growth right now or more profitability than growth than like in previous years when the emphasis was really on, you know, growth for growth sake. And now it's like, okay, how can we, you know, make money from a customer on the first purchase or, you know, really focus on, you know, becoming profitable? Yeah. Okay. I my my summary then for is I don't think any of us know what's going on. That's yeah. basically it. And we're just we're just treading water and we're yeah. trying not to drown, which yeah. is probably not a bad analogy for life in twenty twenty three more broadly. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Yeah. So getting back to you, you touched on it before, but I'd love to explore it in a little bit more detail. So the quality edit, just if, for for people that don't know, can you explain what it is? And I'm curious. Then you said that it's this sort of like it gives you that holistic view, but why, why did you start it? Was it purely for that or was it purely a passion project? Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the quality edit. Uh, it was a passion project. Um, started in the height of COVID with my uh, co-founder, Lee Joslowitz, who was the former head of growth um, at Ritual. So we sat side by side at Ritual together. We employed a lot of really interesting advertising campaigns, kind of flexing the muscle of what we both do best. So essentially, during our time there, um, we together drove the highest revenue days and months for the brand. And I think in many ways, like impacted the trajectory of the company by leveraging editorial content and focus specifically focused on like third-party credibility and validation, especially for a brand like Ritual, an ingestible product, which you want to hear about from a friend or you want to hear about it from some sort of endorsement. So we went on and kind of brokered deals with different top-tier publishers. Um, Most notably, I would say like BuzzFeed, we were the first brand to really do this type of partnership with them where we had an organic, you know, Uh, piece that was utilizing affiliate links that we would then leverage in our advertising through uh, strategies like dark posting or whitelisting or amplifying basically their editorial in our advertising, which was partly inspired by the fact that as, you know, someone that was trying to get as much PR for the brand as possible felt like there, I was always really like, I felt one like press was always really hard to quantify. This is another reason why I started dream day too. Like, you know, PR agencies give you like, here's your UVPM per month that we achieved. And it's like, that is such a useless number. That means absolutely nothing. So I was really disappointed by like the lack of quantifiable impact that I could see our press was having. Um, But also, even if you got the perfect press piece that had the perfect headline and creative and storytelling and et cetera, it was, you know, the best piece of the company, it might only, you know, be impactful for 
a month, like, because then viewers, uh, or readers, I should say, you know, read it and they maybe check out and then the piece kind of like goes away unless it's like highly trafficked on Google, which is also possible. But I was really disappointed by like the, the lack of longevity that a perfect editorial piece could have. So what we did was we essentially took this perfect piece that Buzzfeed had created, um, and we really amplified it in editorial and they're probably still using it today, you know, six years later in their, in their advertising. Um, and that really drove, like I said, the highest days and months for the company. And it solved that like piece of the puzzle for me of like, I can help get the perfect press piece and then I can amplify it and leverage it for the lifetime of the company. Um, and Lee, you know, was, was really instrumental in like figuring out kind of that piece of how we could really leverage it and all the ways we could slice and dice it in our advertising. Mm -hmm. But, um, that third party credibility and validation and bringing customers in through storytelling in a warm way versus just any, an ad that says, you know, here's why we're so great and why you should yeah. buy the product is yeah. so much more impactful. So the quality edit started as a passion project between, um, you know, my co-founder and, um, we started our first, it started also because, sorry, we were curate, we were ourselves trying every single D2C product, right? After I left Ritual, people would send me product. Do you like this? Can I get your advice? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, interesting. I was trying so many different direct-to-consumer products. And I was like, there's not a publication that we would ourselves would read on that's covering all these brands in a really thoughtful way, you know, um, with like long form reviews. So on the organic side, wanted to build a publication that curates and reviews all the best direct-to-consumer brands and that we ourselves would actually read and actually felt like there was kind of a white space for that. Um, yep. And then on the advertising side, we started, our first client was Our Place, who um, was a client of Dream Day. And we were like, let's, let's see if we can kind of replicate a little bit of what we did with BuzzFeed with the quality of it and leveraging our content and see if that works. And, um, our place is still a client two and a half years later. Nice. Um, and it did work and we were basically profitable yeah. from day one. Thanks for that first client. Um, and then just really kind of, um, double down on our offerings. We basically do media management and strategy. We also built like a full service performance agency that not only does TQE campaigns, but just as a full service performance agency, really focusing on creative and positioning and storytelling, um, we do landing page creation, we do influencer, UGC, and we kind of roll up all these services into one bespoke off offering that are basically post iOS changes, the way that most brands are actually able to see some scale and some efficiency on paid social, um, nice. all into one, you know, bespoke offering. So that is, uh, that is the quality edit in a nutshell. 90% of our content is organic, but we do have like a fairly large, you know, advertising business and um it started as a passion project and then <laughs> turned into a side hustle and like now is a real business which is um really amazing yeah that's super it's cool I, I want to change gears slightly and uh i want to talk about one of the tenets of your leadership style which resonates a lot with me no yeah. assholes no yes. assholes, no assholes, no assholes. Yeah. How do you ensure that you don't work with assholes? What's your yeah, process? I guess that relates to, you know, um, clients and employees and, yep. you know, yep. leadership. Um, yep. nice. So obviously it's, you know, never possible to know for sure. 
but I would say we do spend a lot of time getting to know every client before working with them. Um, all of our clients are, you know, amazing and the humans behind them are the ones that we'd actually like want to grab a drink with or hang out with. Um, we also created a pretty extensive at dream day, a pretty extensive checklist of, um, about like 50 questions, uh, internally that basically every brand that we work with has to kind of pass that checklist. Um, and so we do a lot of, you know, pre-vetting and do have like a lot of vigor. Um, and you know, we've been surprised sometimes, um, but not generally. I mean, I think I rely on my gut and intuition a lot in business, maybe more than anything else. And I feel like I have a fairly good sense of people. So, um, you know, I guess on the client side, getting to know them, you know, pretty deeply before ever signing definitely helps. Um, on the team side, you know, I would say it's similar, just like really hiring for culture first, um, and yep. same kind of like, yep. you know, filters, but, um, you know, really, I guess like walking the walk when it comes to that. And, yep. um, you know, if, if we even catch like this slight, <laughs> sense that a, a whiff <laughs> of an asshole a yeah slight whiff of an asshole yeah <laughs> of an asshole yes exactly I love that. <laughs> um, we you know we we don't move forward and I can say also in our hiring process um something that I adopted from ritual was when we would recruit we would have kind of this structure of like okay after um the interview is done we would give a hard yes a soft yes a soft no or a hard no and there were different kind of you know filters of what each of those mean and we don't hire someone at dream day unless everyone on the team uh or at least the, the hiring managers and the decision makers um are hard yes so even if someone's usually like a soft yes you got to really like justify kind of why we should you know end up hiring that person but i think that's really ensured that everyone is really excited to, you know, work with everyone else on the team and, you know, truly feel like it's a, a good fit on kind of all fronts, you know, not only their skill set and talent and, you know, unique abilities, but most importantly, you know, culture and being someone that you want to, you know, spend every single day with. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's helped. I think that's a great strategy. I love the hard yes, the soft yes. That's a really nice way of doing it because it, it, it means some of this stuff is not binary, right? It's right. not like, Yes, you know, you go across the hiring sort of like team room or whatever and you're like, yes, yes, no, no, and you what, take some sort of democratic percentage. Right, It's, it's right. a bit more nuanced than that. So I like the sort of the shades of yes and the shades of no. That's yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah, I yeah. might pinch that actually. That's yeah, quite good. That's, that's very good. <laughs> <laughs> so I, want, I, I suppose some people might ask you what like – uh, a typical day looks like. I'm not interested in typical. I'm look interested in an ideal day. What does an ideal day look like? And I'm curious if your uh, thoughts on what consulting life would be like, is that the ideal day? And are you living that these days? You know, I like the name dream day because it forces me to look at that every single day. Um, and there have been times in my journey building, you know, both of these companies where it is so far from a dream day and I'm so far <laughs> off track. And I, you know, I think a couple times maybe even have felt pretty burnt out and those are, you know, really hard times. And I, at the same time, I'm really grateful for them because I think when 
those things happen, it forces you to really like reevaluate your priorities and what you're focusing on. And I do feel like we're in a good, I'm in a good place personally, you know, right now. Um, but I think in terms of my, you know, ideal day or getting back to like that dream day, um, I'm a mom of two kids under five and obviously running two businesses. So I think, you know, I have to be especially efficient and thoughtful about how I spend every minute. I'm becoming more and more rigorous about that. And, you know, every Sunday I'll look at my calendar and look at, is there anything that is not absolutely essential (laughs) or critical to like getting me to where I need to be? And if so, I'll like reschedule those meetings or, you know, kick them down the, the calendar. Um, yep. So just being really um, protective, I guess, of time, I think is, is especially important. Um, I think like my ideal day is, you know, having time with my kids um, and husband in whatever capacity, like having family time. Um, as I mentioned, like I think work-life balance is super important to me. So taking care of myself mentally, physically, like spiritually, whether that's workouts or walks or meditation or any other form of self-care. Um And then obviously, you know, work too. I think getting, being able to work with clients that were genuinely passionate about representing and truly believe in, you know, the founders and their stories, I think is really inspiring to me and, you know, um, makes work not feel like work in a lot of ways. So just working on exciting projects and, you know, helping inspire the team. And um, I've also found, you know, I've been doing a little bit more like mentorship. So I think, you know, mentoring others has been really rewarding as well. And, um, every day, you know, I think there's different sacrifices that you have to make. Like if I take a meeting, I might not be able to go to my daughter's ballet class. And, um, I think it's, you know, owning those decisions and I don't think it's possible to achieve perfect balance at any point, but you know, every day I try to do my best and kind of always become better. That's good. Final question. Yeah. Uh, where is Lauren in five years? <laughs> I wish I knew. Um, <laughs> no, um, I truly like, I think I envy the people that are like, here's my, you know, five-year plan, 10-year plan. And they're like, got their spouses bought into it and they know exactly where they're going. Um, I definitely feel more like I live my life, you know, one day at a time. I think it's really important yep, to nice. have like some idea of general goals, but I think one of the most valuable skills in business is the ability to be nimble and flexible and really like let life's plan naturally unfold for you. So I don't know. I think I'd be happy continuing to build both businesses. Um, I find a lot of meaning in both of them. Um, and I think in my dream scenario, finding a bit more flexibility with my time to like use it more philanthropically, do more mentorship. Um, I also like, I think not yet, but I think I see myself having an itch to build another brand. I don't quite have the idea yet, but um, I do think it'd be really fun to build a brand that both Dream Day and the quality of it can help, you know, market. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess just continuing to uh, work towards that, that Dream Day every day. Nice. Dream day every day. I'm going to pinch that as well. Uh, Lauren, that's a great way to end the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, Tim. Talk to you soon.
There you go, folks. Thanks so much for joining me. Before I go, a quick word from my sponsor, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clavio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time. Thank you.